It's, it's really a pleasure to, uh, uh, to be here and to talk about what I think maybe the favorite subjects of most priests in the world, uh, Pope Francis. I'm happy that my family, some of my family is here. And of course, one of my nieces is one of your outstanding students, as, as you indicated to me yourself, Father President, earlier. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to take my watch off uh, because, although I really don't have to, my, my gauge usually is when two-thirds of the group is snoring, then I stop. Uh, so that uh, I'll watch carefully to see when that happens in this community. And as long as one-third is still awake, then I will continue to, to go on. But I don't know how long it will last. I may not, I may be one of those who fall asleep first because I had a great meal. I thank you, Father President, for that, uh, for that great treat. I, I want to start by saying uh, I, I'm very prejudiced. I'm very biased. Uh, I, uh, I, I think this is an extraordinary man the one whom God has given us as Pope. And I, uh, I, I, just, uh, I just thank the Lord every day, I really do, for, uh, for this Holy Father. Uh, strong man, a, a wise man, but more than anything else, a really good man. A man who understands people, a man who understands right and wrong, who understands weakness, who understands strength. But not, I believe the Lord gave us the, the best he could find. And that's, of course, always a great blessing because that's, uh, you, you, you get then somebody very, very special. And I think uh, Jorge Begoglio is somebody very, very special. I want to start with, with, with three stories. Oh, okay. Have I broken your microphone already? No, not yet. <laughs> I have a degree in theater, but I don't <laughs> Someone needs a degree in, in electronics or something. You have a lot of engineers here. Maeve, Maeve, can't you fix that? Now, I'm sorry, you were planning to go and rest in the back, I know. And now I'm going to make enough noise probably to keep you awake. But uh, don't be afraid if you feel yourself dozing, it's perfectly all right. I want to start with three stories. Because if I don't start now, I'm, not, I'm never going to finish. Three stories. And you know, the, the bad thing is, you've heard them all before. The good thing is, they'll make me happy if I tell them because I, I think they're great stories about the Holy Father. The one is the, the uh, Swiss God story. You all heard the Swiss God story. Oh, thank you, Father President. That's very nice of you. <laughs> the Pope moved in uh, to other rooms in, uh, in the guest house. There is in the Vatican a guest house. It's a, it's a hotel-like building. Uh, it has rooms with bathrooms and, uh, and you know, and, and beds and everything like that. Uh, it has its four floors, and on the second floor was the room that they had always set aside for special guests. And when he became pope, they moved him in there just for a day or two. Well, he was happy there, and he doesn't want to leave. And I don't think they're going to have to get him out with a screwdriver because he's not going to leave, as far as I don't. But in order to, uh, to I'm using the expression, jazz it up a little, they decided to put the Swiss guards all around. and So now they have Swiss guards at the door of the guest house. And when you go inside the guest house, and then on the second floor where he lives, right outside his room, they have a guest. They have a, uh, a Swiss guard. And he stands there all the time, as is proper. You know, this is, the, this is the Pope. But one day, right after they began to do this, Holy Father gets up, uh, gets up at five, and he goes down to pray at six, and over his mass at seven. So at six o'clock, he opens his door to go down and start his meditation to get ready for mass. And he opens the door and he sees this kid there, this uh, Swiss guard, holding the halberd there at attention. Holy Father looks at him and he says to him, he says, son, 
How long have you been standing here? It's since midnight, Holy Father. Pope says, since midnight? Yes, Holy Father. The Pope goes back into his room, and a minute later he comes out with a chair. And he puts it down, he says, sit down. And the kid says, Holy Father, we're not allowed to sit down. And the Pope says, sit down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the other person, which I think may be apocryphal, uh, he says, are you hungry? But it's very much like the Pope to do it, so I, I think it could be possible. And the kid says, no, Holy Father. He says, want me to get you a sandwich or something? He says, no, Holy Father, because the, the kid is now terrified when the sergeant comes and sees him <laughs> sitting down holding his, his, his sword. So, and eating a sandwich would be worse, eating a sandwich. So the Pope goes and within 15 minutes, every Swiss guard in the whole Vatican heard that story. Because it was just, suddenly you have someone who really worries about people, really worries about them and is concerned about them and is not afraid to do something about it. Even if it means he lifts up a chair himself and brings it out and says, sit down. The, the, second, the second story is the reason why he stayed at, uh, Saint, at uh, Santa Marta, the, the guest house. The Jesuits obviously want to take advantage of this poor fellow because he's a Jesuit. If he was an Augustinian, you guys would be trying to get on him too. So they have a number of high schools in, uh, uh, in, in Rome, the Roman area, and they said, Holy Father, can we bring the seniors before they graduate and have a visit with you? So he said, sure. So he goes in there, they set up a hall somewhere, and they have his chair at the side, and they, he won't use a throne. They, they, they know that now. In the beginning, they put a throne. He would pick up the throne and put it down on the floor. And they said, Holy Father, you shouldn't be carrying it. He said, well, you shouldn't be putting up it. <laughs> so this is, a, this is such an extraordinarily, it's a human being, you know, in, in, in every way. So he, he's sitting down. He says, okay, I have a talk. And as I look at you, you're going to be bored with my talk. So rather than make me talk and you bored, let's put the talk away and we'll just talk. And so he starts to talk, he says, do questions. So they asked him all kinds of questions and he answers them. And he's, you know, he's funny and he's, uh, he, he, he's you know, even, in, even in, the, in, the, in the humor and everything, there's a, an extraordinary streak of holiness in this fellow. That is, it's, it's, it's wonderful to behold and wonderful to listen to. But at the end of the, of the thing, it's almost over now, a little girl raises her hand and he says, yes. She says, Holy Father, why won't you move into the palace? You know, because he decided to live in this guest house. And he gives this wonderful answer after a minute's thought. He says, for psychiatric reasons. <laughs> and, and everybody like jumps, you know, they say. And then he waits, pauses, pauses me. He's getting good on jokes now. Uh, he, he pauses me and then he says, I would go nuts up there. So those are his psychiatric He says, I have to be with people to be with people and indeed uh, we think he does and so he but just to come out with for psychiatric reasons when I first heard it I thought this is this is insane <laughs> I, and I, I, I had a chance to speak to him shortly after that I said I was amazed at what you said to the answer to that I said he said, he said, he said and he repeated me he says for psychiatric reasons and we both started to laugh and we laughed so hard the Swiss guard came to the door to look in to make sure nothing was happening in there. <laughs> because he, but he, he, he enjoys his own jokes, which I guess I, guess I do too. <laughs> we all do. And then uh, the, the last, one, last story I want to tell you, and then we'll, we'll get a little more, more serious. Uh, I got very sick in Rome. In fact, everybody thought I, they thought I had died because I, they couldn't get any life signs or something. So they found out that I I had some, my heart was slowing down, and so I have a pacemaker now, and my whole family knows my story. So, you know, I, I recovered. I did not die. I want you to tell you that in case you had some questions about that. <laughs> I recovered. And uh, that night, when they, I got back to the seminary where I was staying, I get a call, and it's from the Pope. And he, uh, he calls, he says, uh, he says, how are you? I heard you were, you were very sick, and... Uh, they said you weren't at the mass and everything, because I missed his mass. And this is the night of his installation. He took, he took the time to call. 
And then, so at the end, I was very honored, obviously. And at the end of the conversation, I said to him, I said, well, you know, very piously as you try to be with the Pope, I said, Holy Father, I guess the Lord still has some work for me to do. And there was a pause. And then the Holy Father said, there's a quote. Holy Father said, well, that may be true. On the other hand, maybe the devil didn't have your accommodations ready. <laughs> To which I said nothing. <laughs> but inside I'm saying, you think that was an infallible statement? <laughs> okay, this is, this is our Pope. He, he, he enjoys life, he enjoys humor, uh, he enjoys people. And he understands people to an extraordinary degree. Uh, I, uh, I, I think that we will get to know this as time goes by uh, all the more. He is preaching almost every day and, you know, without, without notes, he goes in and he starts to preach to the people. And uh, I, I've, I've gotten to the stage now and I think many of us have. Every day the Vatican Information Service releases what he, what he says in the homily and we're all reading it. It's, it's almost become a, a new catechism to listen to the Holy Father every day talk about God, talk about the Gospels, talk about, about our faith. An extraordinary gift. And we're getting this from the Pope. And because of the electronic age, we can get it. Uh, within a couple of hours of his, of his giving it, we get the mind of the Holy Father, the prayerfulness of the Holy Father as, as he goes through. So it's a, it's a, it is a, really an extraordinary grace. And uh, but what I, what I want to do, if I may now, is talk about what we know before the conclave and then right after the conclave and then what we can maybe judge from, from, those, from that passage of time. Before the conclave, uh, nobody thought there was a chance for Bergoglio. Uh, there is a, a great Irish uh, uh, bedmaster, I, I guess, I don't know what you, what you call him, whose name is, is uh, Paddy Powers in Rome, in, in Dublin. And he bets on everything. everything he's, he's the great odds maker in, in the world. And that's what he makes his living, and he's a multimillionaire. So he, oh, what a great opportunity to bet on the, bet on the conclave. And so he puts out his odds and he waits for you know, after a lot of consideration. Cardinal Scola, the Archbishop of Milan, uh, was the favorite, as, as you know, even on all the papers. Uh, and he was three to one, which is pretty, pretty decent low odds. And, uh, and, and, and other Cardinals, uh, Cardinal O'Malley was like 20 to one. But he had, he, somehow he stuck in Cardinal Bergoglio, who was 200 to one. Just think what I could have made <laughs> had I had some small change around when that was going on. I could have gotten my nephew, Maddie, to raise up some money for me. We could have been multimillionaires, 200 to 1. But it was interesting, as time went by, the odds changed. Scholars didn't change because the, 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 uh, the, the leaders sort of continued in there. Colonel Scholar got a lot of they got good odds. Uh, uh, Cardinal Scherer, the Archbishop of, of Brazil, in Brazil, got good odds. Uh, who others? Uh, uh, Cardinal Ouellette, the Canadian, got good odds. But, and then suddenly, and how this happened, I don't know. Suddenly, Paddy Powers, as he's doing the odds, brings the 201 against the 201 guy down to 101. And as the conclave was beginning, he was at 40 to 1. Well, that's a big improvement from 200 to 1. How he got that, uh, I don't know to whom he was talking or how it, how it came about. But it was interesting as you, as you saw this whole, this whole thing. Bagoli was a friend of mine uh, because I, I, the community, the religious, I live in a religious community in Washington, and it's a community that was founded in Argentina. So, 
you know, they were always talking about Bergoglio, the Archbishop in Argentina, and, uh, and that was maybe why I, I became. And then, as his father said, I, in in the in the College of Cardinals, we're always in precedence. You you always know who's going to be in front of you, you always know who's going to be in back of you and in lines. And I was like number 67 in the precedence because we had 115. I was like once I was 67, he was 72. So we. We'd all be, be close by. There was the Archbishop of, of Bogota was the one most senior, the next senior to me. And he was, but he would never know where he was going. So he would yell out when they said, your eminences, please line up. He'd say, mechanic, where are you? So I'd say, Pedro, here I am. And then, because he would yell so, and usually yell where I was. So the Azobagoli would come around, and the others who were around our, our time in the college. So. We would, we would all get there. The, uh, before the Congress, before the, the vote began, there were, there were two parts to the vote. All the cardinals are summoned to Rome, even those who can't vote. And if you cannot go, you have to get excused. You have to say you're sick or you're planning a trip to the moon or something like that, you, you can't go. Uh, so we all go, but the ones of us who are over 80 cannot vote, as, as you know. So I could not vote, I'm 83. So what would happen is that in the first week, the, 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 the meetings are called the general, con the general congregations. All the cardinals are, are together, the voters and the non-voters, and they all talk about what is going on in the uh, in the church and, and and what what they would like to see does the new pope be like and things like that what problems they see in the church that the new pope should solve and things like that so uh and you're allowed four minutes to talk five minutes to talk sorry and just about all of us talk you know especially the old guys talk because we got no chance to talk later on so we might as well talk now you know? <laughs> If we're going to say anything, we have to say it now, or no one's going to listen. So, so I, I, I spoke. Some guys go like 10 minutes, you know. They figure they had a lot to say. But I, I was going to say, no, I'll only go five. Well, I went five, and five minutes and like 15 seconds. Somebody clocked me. They said, gee, you went over. I said, I didn't. He said, you went over by 15 seconds. I said, gee, you must be paying close attention to what I'm saying. He said, no, I just was paying close attention to how long you were saying it. <laughs> When, uh, uh, before we went into that, and then of course, after about a week of that, then you go into the conclave itself, when we cannot even go near the place. And only the voters are, are allowed in. What goes on there, I just don't know, because I was at another conclave, but every conclave is different. About maybe just before we went into the general conversations when everybody can talk, very interesting and, and influential Italian gentleman came to ask if he'd come to see me. So I said, sure, and he came to see me at the seminary, the, the American college where I was staying. We sat down, this is a very brilliant man, very influential man in Rome, uh, and he, we talked about a number of things. He had a favor to ask me for back here in the United States. But then he said, what about Bergoglio? And I was surprised at the, at the question. I said, what about him? He said, does he have a chance? I said, I don't think so, because no one's mentioned his name. I, he, hasn't, he hasn't been in, the, in, the, in his mind. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's on anybody's mind to vote for him. He said, he could do it, you know. I said, what could he do? He said, he could reform the church. He gave him five years, he could put us back on target. Said, he's 76. They said, yeah, five years. If he had five years, the Lord working through Bergoglio in five years could make the church over again. I said, that's an interesting thing. He said, I know you're his friend. I said, I, I, I hope I am. He said, talk him up. Said, well, we'll see what happens. You know, this is, this is God's work. So but that was the first that I heard that there were people who thought Bergoglio would be a possibility in this election. Then uh, we had the general congregations. Uh, I spoke for five minutes and 15 seconds as the guy who 
that's Cardinal who I said. But I, I said three things. I said, number one, getting away from the poor. And to a certain extent, I'm afraid, in, in some areas of the world, we were getting away from the poor. Yeah, that's very dangerous. I said, I hope that the new, the home, one who is elected Pope, will be someone who, if he is not himself a Latin American, will at least have a very strong interest in Latin America, because half the church is there. So that you, you really have to begin to, to think of that's where the people are. I forget what the third thing I said was. It probably wasn't any good. Anyway. And then, so every number of bishops, about, I would say, of the non-voters, about everybody spoke. Of the voters, maybe half spoke because they, you know, they could speak later in the in the halls, in the lunchroom, and in the, in the, walking around. The almost the last day, they called on Bergoglio, and he spoke for four minutes, period, without a note, although he had obviously prepared, and without a watch, and he went on, and he spoke about something which we've heard from him now quite a bit. The church on the periphery. That was, that's the word he used, periferio, in, in Spanish, because he, he spoke in Spanish. And he said, that's where the church has to be now. The church has to be where people are hurting, people are discriminated against, where people are very poor, where people are very sick, where people don't have homes, where people don't have rights, where people are afraid. Are, I do not know how to, how to love God anymore, where people don't have comfort in God's presence anymore. And he went on for four minutes and stopped. And for the first time, I, I, I've been trying to say, did I, did I make this up after he was elected? I don't think so. For the first time in those other days, there was a silence after he spoke, about 30 seconds, and nobody Cardinal Sodown didn't say, thank you, Remnants, I now call on Cardinal so-and-so. It was just a pause there, because he, he hit a nerve somehow. There was, some, there was some, some contact there, and I think there was an a, a Italian newspaper who found out about this, that's why I can talk about it, and, and wrote in the paper, four minutes that changed the conclave. Because before the conclave began, we had four minutes of Bigoglio in it, talking about things that others have talked about, but doing it in a special way, and it made a difference. Did that, was that part of it? Who knows? Was my friend who said, push Bigoglio, did he say it to a lot of people? I don't know. Because uh, what I wanted to do now is to talk about something that is, that's very special to me. And I don't know if you know about it. I want you to know about it. You know, when the Pope is elected, the cardinals who are electors go into the Sistine Chapel. Now, some of you have seen the Sistine, been in the Sistine Chapel, so you know what it looks like. It's a sort of long and relatively narrow room. Well, it is, it's a chapel, let's say the altar's up here, the door is there. There are two long wooden benches on this side, two long wooden benches outside, the cardinals sit behind them. And you can get like uh, 30 uh, people on each bench. You have 120 voters, that takes care of it. 30, 30, 30, 30, 100, 120. There were 115, 114 voters at this last election. So they were there. And what you do, in order always, you know, when I went to the last uh, election, you know, in, in front of me was the Cardinal of, of Dublin. Behind me was the Cardinal of, uh, was Pedro the Rubiano, the Cardinal of Bogota. We always, you're always together. And what you do, you fill out your little card. You have a card, it says, Illegal in some pontificate. I elect as Holy Father, as Supreme Pontiff. And you write an amen. You have it in your hand. And you walk up with it in your hand. When you get to the altar, now this is, this is the Sistine Chapel. Those of you who have seen pictures or have been there, you know that behind the altar, this, this wonderful, powerful painting 
of Michelangelo's Last Judgment. And in front of that, you take this oath. You've taken oaths of secrecy before, but this is the last oath you take. And every time you vote, you take, you know, if you vote five times this last election, they had five times, every time you vote, before you put your, your piece of paper with the name on in the urn, you say in, in Latin, Testo Dominus Jesus Christus, qui mei judicatoris est, it's all part I remember, it's in Latin. I call on Jesus Christ, my Lord, to be my witness. He who will judge me, and there you're standing before this great, wonderful, powerful picture of the last judgment. He who will judge me, the man I am voting for, is the one who under God, I believe should be Pope. Now, what does that do? If you really believe that and you say it, 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 it means this is no longer an election. This is a discernment. You are trying to discern God's mind. You're trying to find out what God wants. I, the man whom I'm voting for, is the one whom I believe God wants to be Pope, not the one who I would like to be Pope, not my buddy, not the fellow who's going to give me a better diocese or will give me more, more uh, will give me a place in Rome, not the fellow who's going to uh, give me a lot of auxiliaries, not not that. The one that I believe under God that God wants to be Pope. That really makes it, it takes it out of the realm of, of elections, out of the realm of, you know, my buddy, my friend. What's in the realm of God? You try to read the mind of God. And that's precisely what, what the fellows did. And I think they read the mind of God. And I think they came up with Cardinal Bergoglio. Uh, I want to talk about the beginning of Bergoglio. Where you, you, almost everyone's seen that that scene on the on the the balcony. They announced who it was, and they didn't come right out. And I think they may have had a little bit of a quarrel in the back before he came out. They probably said, "Holy Father, here is an ermine cloak to put on." And I, I just knowing him, I, he probably said, oh, thank you very much, but I'm not cold. And they said, the Holy Father, uh, here is a gold cross that you should put on. And, and he probably said, no, no, I have my own, thank you very much. And so he comes out in his plain white cassock and with his old cross on, goes out. And the first thing he says, everybody remembers. He says, good evening. And it, with that, buonasera, he won over Rome. Because every other Holy Father, even the great John Paul II, you know, came out with a great, wonderful statement right away. And this fellow comes out and he says, good evening. Here I am, good evening. And it, it, it hit them because this, the, 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 the emotion at this moment for everyone in Rome, someone said to me, just a great remark, and I wish I had thought of myself, when the announcement was, when the, when the red smoke, the white smoke went up, I knew they had a pope. The crowd began to sing, Vive le Papa, long live the pope. They had no idea who it was going to be. But the faith of our people, our faith is Catholic faith. We know who it is. But long live the pope. We are the pope's people. We are the pope's men and women. This is our, this is our leader. This is our shepherd. This is our life. Vive le Papa. Whoever he is. Because nobody knew. It took an hour till they found out. During that hour, every once in a while, some wise guy in the crowd would say, Viva Papa. And then another 100,000 would start to cry, Viva Papa. And then he comes out. And, and they look at him. They don't know. Nobody knows who he is. Even, the, the, even CNN that I was watching didn't know who he was. They couldn't figure out what the name was. And when they said his name is Francis, he's going to take his name Francis. Everybody says, this is crazy. Nobody has ever taken Francis. Couldn't, they couldn't pronounce the name Bergoglio. Comes out, and he says, good evening. They are, they are, some way or other, entrenched by this. And then, you know, remember what he does? He says, before we do anything else, let's pray for Pope Benedict. And, and he leads them in prayer for Pope Benedict. Then he says, now, 
well, I'm going to take this job. This is a very tough job. Would you all pray for me? And he puts his head down. And somebody starts praying for him. Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be. During that time, he's praying. The Pope has never asked people to pray for him. Oh, they have, but they've never, he's never put it that way. Okay, I'm going to stop now. You pray for me. He did. And then the conversation. I remember the wonderful, extraordinary uh, short talk of JP II when he became, when he became Pope. It was magnificent. It was really, it was something you would, could memorize. But this was totally different. It's not something you want to memorize. It's just, it's just a friendly conversation. It was like he took everybody there and was chatting with them. Everybody in the whole place and said, well, now here I am. Thank you for praying for Pope Bank. Thank you for praying for me. This is what we're going to try to do. And tomorrow I'm going to, I'm going to go here and tomorrow I'll go there. And meanwhile, the guys, the guys are riding down to figure out what he wants to do the next day. And then when he gets to the next day, what does he do? He visits Our Lady. This this great Roman uh, icon of uh, Our Lady, the salvation of the Roman people. He's Bishop of Rome. He makes that clear. He's Bishop of Rome. Some of the popes have just let the Rome thing just wander by, and they're, they're popes, they're universal pontiffs. That he is, of course, but he's so conscious of the fact. All of this has come to him because he's Bishop of Rome. They elected him Bishop of Rome. He said the cardinals have come together and they've, elect, they've elected someone from the ends of the earth. It, it's hard to get farther away from Rome to, than Buenos Aires, Argentina. It's a long way off. And here he is, and he's amazed. He himself is amazed by this. So that the, the, his beginning then is, uh, is is so remarkable. And apparently, he went after he after he was finished. He waves everybody, he goes inside, and he calls his his father general. He's a Jesuit. He never forgets that. He calls father general, and because the general's watching it on television, he's not paying any attention to what his phone's doing. So he calls the he calls the switchboard. And he says, may I speak to Father General, it's Father Francis. The, the uh, uh, operator, his brother, I guess, says, Father Francis who? He says, Father Francis from the Vatican. He says, Father Francis who? And then Pope says, is this uh, Artilio? He says, yes. Artilio, I haven't spoke to you, because he, he, he knew them. Artilio, I haven't spoken to you. And they had this conversation for about two minutes before the guy, the, the operator, maybe an old gentleman, says, you are the Francis who's Pope. <laughs> and he says, well, yes. He said, hold on. <laughs> so he, he tries to find the general, and they can't find the general. And finally, they find the assistant general. There are about six assistant generals in the Jesuits. And they find one of the assistants. They says, the Pope is calling the general. So you, you never, I guess, the rule is you never burst in on the general. You always, you know, knock and you wait and whatever. They, they knock on the general, general's watching television, they say, the Pope is on the phone, the Pope is on the phone. And you know, it, it's, these, it's these, these strange, totally system, simple, and yet extraordinary things. And then he does. And then remember the next day, he goes to pay his bill at at the Vatican Hotel. The Villa de Sua for the hotel that belongs to the Vatican. It's his hotel now. But he goes to pay his bill. And I, I couldn't figure out really why he would do that. Was that? I thought, gee, maybe it's for show. And then I, I, was, I found out later on there's a, a very stupid custom. Some of the bishops don't pay. They say, you know, I'm here on business, and they walk out without paying. They won't do it anymore. They won't do it anymore. So these little things that he does, there's always a reason. There's always a, a special something there that, uh, that he has in mind. So he's, this is a brilliant man. This is a man who plots the strategy of the church as it goes along. A man who, who does not forget. And then... You know, the, the, the first days were, 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 so, were so extraordinary. 
the, he had mass with the electors the second day that after, after the election, the day after the election he had mass with the electors. I wasn't there because I'm not like that. But you know, the, in the old days, the Pope would always vest by himself and suddenly he would appear and then the procession would begin. And suddenly while the you know, cardinals are getting vested, someone comes out with another table. They say, what are you doing that for? They say, the Pope's getting vested. They say, here? Because the cardinals never say, Pope, get vested. He always gets vested inside. He comes in, he puts his own stuff on, talks to them while he's getting vested. You know, this never happened. Then, as I, I wasn't there, I'm not an elector, but what I hear, he goes up and they thrown up for him. He hides the throne, he doesn't say anything that day. The next day he said, look, I don't, I'm not comfortable on the throne. Just put a chair there. And they, so he's sitting. They hear Holy Father. Said, no, no, I, I'm going to, I know what I'm going to say. They said, oh, but it's been prepared. He said, good, hold on to it, we may use it someday. So he's just, and he goes in and he took in a wonderful homily. The cardinals were there, because they all started coming back then after that to where I was staying. And you know, the story of, of the homily, everyone had the story of the homily. How thoughtful it was, how, how powerful it was, how careful it was. And, and, and this is a, I, I guess what I'm more, most anything trying to say, this is a real person, this isn't to make believe. with loves and, and, and fears and, and hopes and, and concerns and, and desires and longings and prayers. I, uh, I think this is it. So, now watch this, watch, this, watch this message. Oh, here you, you know more than I. I'm not going to talk about, uh, about his encyclicals. I hope you've read that. But that is clear and it's really what he's trying to do. And, Someone said to me earlier, you can see where Benedict stops and Francis begins in the homily. Yes, you can and you can't because he, he will, will, will take the threads of Benedict and, and weave them into his own theology. You know, and, and his own. This, is not a, this is not a bad theologian. He's a good theologian. He's an excellent philosopher. And, and I, I've been... Uh, I, I hope some of you read the article that was in America magazine, and it was in Jesuit magazines around the world because he did him this great favor. He gave this huge interview to Jesuit uh, publications all over the world, and they are—they they ask hard questions, and he answers them just as he did on the plane coming back from Brazil. They asked him hard questions, and he answers them, and and he answers them gracefully thoughtfully, clearly, prudently, and honestly. You can't do better than that. I'm not sure I answer questions that clearly, that courageously, you know, do I, do I and do you, you know, maybe scoot around answers, we don't want to touch the, the difficult things, not with him. See is what you get. What you see is what you get. And the things you get are pretty wonderful. The, uh, his first homily to the people, uh, he did it in that little church right outside the, the, uh, the, port of the, the gate of St. Anne. There's a little church of St. Anne. It's the Vatican Parish Church. It's, it's uh, run by, of course it's run by the Augustinians. Everybody, everybody knows that. And, uh, and, and very holy Augustinians like the, all they, they all are. So anyway, he, he goes there, and so they, they say, you, you can only, we can only fit like 200 people in this church. He says, well, that's all right. There won't be any more than that. Well, of course, there were 2,000. And so then he goes out into the street to where the, and the, the cops go crazy. The people go crazy, too. They're so happy to be with the Pope. But the cops are saying, they're going to kill him. Someone's going to, some nuts going to kill him. And that's my fear, too. And I said that to him once. And he said, you know, I know that. I know they worry about me. But you re don't you realize that the more they worry about me, the more careful they are and the safer I'll be. But I think his basic conv conviction is, God wants me to continue. I will. 
God wants me not to. I won't. I think that's where he is. That's where he's coming from. And it's hard for us because I'm not at that stage where I have that kind of trust and faith. I'm sorry, I should have it. I'm 83. I've been a priest for 55 years. But he has it. He, he is that much in tune with God. You know? And he said, okay, Lord, want me tomorrow? I'm ready. Want me 10 years from now? I'm ready. I'm, I'm just here because you put me here. I'm just going to do what I think you want me to do. I'm just going to say what you think you want me to say. This is what my life is going to be. Let me live it joyfully because he's always smiling. Always smiling. The, I think there are, and then of course, his, his, uh, his homily that day was about the woman taken in adultery. Says, who, is, who can throw the first stone? The Pope had a mantra <clears throat> that people heard time and time and time again. <clears throat> he said, we must never get tired asking for forgiveness. That God never gets tired forgiving. We can sometimes get tired asking him for forgiveness. But he never gets tired. So since he never gets tired forgiving, we should never get tired asking him. But it doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter what, what, what haunts us, doesn't matter what we think the state of our soul is or anything. That's why he said, when we must always remember God never gets tired forgiving. We must never get tired asking for forgiveness. They said to me, the papers had it too, that there were more confessions in Rome that day than in the history of man. Rome never had that many confessions. And people were saying, if God really is so anxious to forgive, I might as well give him a chance. And someone was saying that's true, it happened also in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. I don't know that, but in Rome that's true. And this, and this, this great Holy Father, and there's the power of his message. And of course, going back now, he talks again about the periphery that he talked about in the, in the general congregations. People who are outside the veil, the people who, who are far away, the people who we don't think about, the people who, who need help and we don't give it to them, the people who, who are so poor, the people who are hungry today, the people who live in our world still on a dollar a day and can't feed a family. I travel, I, I've seen these people. I've seen these refugees coming. I was in, three, three weeks ago, I was in Jordan, and I, I went to the hospital there where, where they were trying to treat some of the refugees. And the, the saddest ones of all are the Iraqi, because they're on their second bounce. The Christians who have fled from Iraq to Syria and you know, made up, was, was beginning to get a little security there and now they're fleeing from Syria. So they're on the second bounce of, of this terrible sorrow. And the children, little children, they know what's going on. And they hug you and because they just, they, they are so anxious to, to find somebody who's gonna, gonna love them. Their parents will, but their parents are so sad. This is, these, this is, the, this is the periphery of which Pope Francis speaks. And of course he, he made it so clear in that visit to Lampedusa, that little island, little Italian island off the coast of Malta, where so many refugees from Africa have been trying to come to Europe. They are in boats, people sell them boats that are not seaworthy, and so many of them drown. And he, he went out into a boat and, and, and on a, a plain wooden blank altar he offered mass and he offered it for these who have drowned especially for our muslim brothers and sisters who have drowned in the waters here trying to find a better place for their children this is isn't you know i i, I close my eyes and i think is this what jesus would have done is this what the lord would have done is this what he would want us to do so this is your pope this is, this is the man whom God has given us. A, uh, 
I think he will always be gracious to the rich. Sometimes people who are wealthy are concerned that maybe that he's, he's mad at them. But I, I, we've had conversations and he, he, he's not. He, he's only mad at them if they, if they won't help the poor, if they, if they turn their backs on the poor. But those, those people who have, who, have, who have wealth and who share it with the poor, he's right with them 100% as we would expect him to be. As long as people love the poor and want to help the poor, this Pope is their champion and this Pope is their friend. His love for the poor is biblical. It's like, it's like in, the, in the days of the, of, of the Bible. You know, it's that, it is that, that powerful, that, that, that centered on, on the Lord Jesus, on God's goodness. So he, he has this great thing. And you know, he's, he's, a, he's a wise man. You, I don't know, when you read that article, if you have a chance to read it, I really would recommend it in the, in the Catholic magazines where he on and on and talks about his life, talks about everything, and you can see that the citations there. This is a brilliant man. This is a man, a man of culture. This is a man who has, who has had extraordinary contact with the world, with literature, with philosophy the quotations back and forth. And this is in conversation. He, he doesn't know what they're going to ask him. And, and yet he has this ability to talk so, so freely and so, so powerfully, so wonderfully about, uh, about things going on in the world. And cites the great philosophers and cites the poets and, and cites the ancients and, and puts it all together. There's a, a, a wonderful, there are two books that I know of. One is uh, his conversations with him, uh, an Italian uh, reporter, or an Argentine reporter, and this was an, it was an Italian, where he asks him all kinds of trick questions, not trick words, but difficult questions, and, and his answers are just the, like the answers we've seen when they ask him questions. This is a man who, we speak of the Lord sometimes, I don't want to say that, I think he's like the Lord. The Lord is semper idem, well, you Latin scholars will know it's always the same. The Lord never changes. He, he's never, he's always loving. He's always forgiving. He's always gentle. He's always gracious. That's what Francis is like. And that's why around the world, young people especially are, are saying, man, we can listen to because he's authentic, because he's telling it like it is. And understanding of human nature, understanding that you know, he, he says some things that we were, maybe will surprise us. But the interesting thing is if you examine what he's saying, it's what the church has said all the time. Maybe not what the canonists have said all the time, or what different the theologians have said all the time, but the teaching of the church all the time is the teaching of, John, of, of Pope Francis. Compared with John Paul II, it's, it's there. Even with, with Pope Benedict, this man is not saying new things. There, some, there are sometimes, unfortunately, bishops who, who will go too far to the left, too far to the right. We must be in the center. I go say to all of my nephews, always stay in the center. You've got to stay in the center. And, and this is really the, this is, I think, the secret of holiness. It's the secret of Pope Francis. And not to be afraid. Almost here, his predecessor, Alawutiwa, who became JP2, saying, do not be afraid. It's so, you would hear that almost in whispering it into his ear. And what a great thing it will be when he canonizes JP2 and 23rd. Because this is a man who has so many things like them. He's like them, like the great saints in, in so many ways with an understanding of human nature, you know, in, 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 in prayerfulness, and in, in, when he says, I'm, I'm not going to judge. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. My, my job is to, is to be his agent in bringing people back to him so that he can judge. And Jesus constantly says, right, judgment belongs to my Father who loves you. 
So I think what, what I find half year that uh, he's been both CNN wanted to do a, and I guess they'll do it next month, a six-month analysis of, uh, of Francis. And they came and they asked me to do uh, part of it. Uh, and so they, I, they had me on, on, the, on the TV for about an hour and a half. Now, you know, if I get two sentences in here, I go through, or three, or three words, it'll be, it'll be remarkable. But uh, they, they did ask me, they said, in a word, what's the difference between Francis and Benedict and all the rest? And I thought for a minute and I said, well, the others are great popes, but Francis is a pastor. And I think maybe that's what I want to end up by saying. I think Francis is a pastor. I think we have, we have maybe never had a, a pastor in, in, in so long a time. J.P. Toom, whom I loved, whom we all loved, and who, was, who I had the privilege of, of knowing reasonably well. Uh, J.P. Toom strode across the, the, the stage of the world with, with his enormous charisma, his enormous power. Francis doesn't have that. He will walk across the streets of the world and people will follow him. They will find in him, like they found in the Pied Piper Hamlin, they will find in him a certain charism that uh, reminds them that, that this is what God's love is all about. And this is what Francis is all about. So it's 826, so I'm gonna leave it there and, uh, and wonder if you have any questions, easy questions. Thank you. Congratulate the ones in the back who did not snore. I saw you sleeping, but you did not snore, and I thank you. That was very nice. I have left you so puzzled. <laughs> I thought, sure, my niece would have a question, but she... Yes. Do you believe he's changed the papacy? The person that follows him should never go back to doing what he's done. So he changed the very thing. I, I'm going to give you a, 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 statement that is not courageous, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wobble and say, if he has uh, two years, he will have changed the papacy. But I think uh, it's gonna take more than six months. Uh, so I think it, uh, what's gonna be very interesting, his first, uh, his first uh, uh, consistory of cardinals. Unfortunately, Pope Benedict, any time he had vacancies, he would fill them pretty quickly. So there, there are only like six vacancies now. So that uh, Pope Francis is not going to be able suddenly to remake the College of Cardinals. Uh, hopefully, uh, it doesn't matter whether I die, and I can't vote anyway, but as if, uh, and I'm not going to say hopefully some of the younger guys will die, but I, I think, uh, Hopefully uh, enough will turn 80 within the next couple of years that he'll have a, you know, a good group. And then if he, if he, if he names enough cardinals who are of his mind, uh, I, I could name 20 right now around the world who would be archbishops in major places of his mind or even uh, curial officials who would be of his mind. Has to have time to do that. Because right now, if God forbid anything happened to him, almost everybody would be in place who was in place before. Only a few changes he's been able to make. 
Well, the longer he's in, the more I think it is likely that we could say that he has changed the papacy. He's done some things even already uh, with regard to transparency in the, and this is really not in the spiritual area, but in the area of finance. The, uh, there's, there's much more transparency. In fact, the Institute for the, for the Institute Opera Religione, the IOR, which like the Vatican Bank, has been, their situation has been very much changed, very much uh, redone. Uh, they just came out today with a, with a statement that was, uh, was very well done. And, uh, you know, it, you, the, oh, the banks around the, the banking agencies around the world were saying, gee, that's wonderful. Oh, he, you know, he's, he's got to keep doing that, I think, a little, not, not just in the financial area, but in, in, especially in the area of the nomination of bishops. That's none of my business because I'm done, but uh, we have wonderful holy bishops, but you can have holy bishops who are very conservative, and you can have holy bishops who are very liberal, and I think the Lord needs a lot of holy bishops who are right in the middle. I'm going to tell you, can I tell you one JP2 story? I've almost run out of Francis stories. I have one JP2 story I can tell you. Uh, when I was Archbishop, that's a real true story. And my, my family has heard it, I think, 16 times. I love this story. JP2 came to, came to Newark. There were some cardinals and bishops in the United States who said, it's a waste to go to Newark. But the Holy Father said, I promised Archbishop McCarrick I would go to Newark, and so I go to Newark. And that would end it, so he came to Newark. He, had, he came that one afternoon, it was raining, it, was, it rained the whole time, it was horrible. But anyone who was there, who was in Giant Stadium, we had 80,000 people in Giant Stadium, steaming rain. Kathy, were you there? Hmm, my own family. <laughs> but it, 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 the rain was terrible, and I can see people not going, but it, it, it teemed, and there were, People from all over New Jersey and some New York and some Pennsylvania. But uh, it's a powerful, powerful time. Before he went out there, he stood in the back with an umbrella over him. He was going to put his two swords. He was going to put his cope on and his mitre on. And he looked at me and I, I made a grimace. Wondered why he looked around. Then he realized, and he, you could, he, he could read my mind, he could read people's minds, and I could read his mind, because he would grunt. He had to know his grunts. JP2 was a great grunter. And you know, he said, mm, and mm, and mm. And you could know, this was totally different things. He would say, so his grunting was very good. But anyway, he, uh, he looked at me, and I, I, I looked like that, and, and he saw what was happening. They were putting everything on him. And my thought was this, anybody could walk down, any bishop can walk down the aisle with a cope and a mitre and a crozier. I did it myself, I was Archbishop, that was my job. Only guy in the world who could do it, who could walk down in a white cassock was him. And if he put all that other stuff on, he'd be just like the rest of us, it wouldn't be that. So he said, I think I'd go just with cassock. So he took it off, so I had a big smile, <laughs> he looked at me. <laughs> You know, and then he comes out, he comes back to the back of the cathedral. And the long, it's a large cathedral, larger than St. Patrick's, actually. And uh, he stopped. And he knew, according to our plan, that he was going to go down one, one aisle and do the, do the, uh, the Vesper service and then go into the sacristy. Usually when he would visit something, he'd go down one side and go back the other. So he'd be able to touch you know, everybody each side. And he, so he stopped, and he knew that that was not going to be happening this time. So he tried to figure it. He figured it wasn't happening. His knees were bothering him. His legs were bothering him. But he was, you know, I do, I do what I have to do, he would say. this extraordinary, powerful man. So he put his arms out and walked down. It was difficult because if you, if you have your arms out, you don't have the kind of, of uh, balance that he walked down. People grabbed on both sides. Three times the size of this aisle. 
And, and I, I remember that so well. I said to myself, this is a lesson to me from God. You've got to be able to touch both sides. If you're on one side, you're going to lose the other. If you're on the other side, you're going to lose the one. The only way you can try to reach all your people is by staying in the middle and reaching out to them both. And that's what he did. I learned that lesson. And I think this Holy Father knows it beautifully. You know, that stay in the middle. You stay where Jesus was. You stay where the popes have to be. They have to be in the middle. They can't be too conservative. They can't be too liberal. They've got to be both liberal and conservative. They've got to be centrist. They've got to be where Jesus is. And Jesus is the center of all things. So I will never forget that story. I hope I've tried to do it in my own life. I'm not sure I have. But that's what we have to do. And this Pope, I think, does that. He, he understands in a special way. Thank you.